Hello, welcome to today's episode of Frivolous Gravitas, where we will be very frivolously going into uh, how we approach uh, learning and how we gain knowledge and form that into wisdom, but not just knowledge, but also information um, in itself and how we turn that into knowledge. So um, Chris is going to be uh, guiding us through this um, as we look at how we go about um, gaining the skills that we have. Uh, whereas, you know, a lot of us feel that um, we can just memorize something and then we'll know it. But memorization is just the regurgitation. They, you know, you download something and you can regurgitate the data, but then data is pretty useless on its own. Um, anyone who's gone to a spreadsheet that they didn't make, uh, see all the numbers and words and stuff, and it doesn't really mean anything without context. So when we want to actually know something, we have to abstract a bit. We have to look at what we're doing. And to look at this, Chris is going to guide us uh, through the subject of coding and how, uh, though not the thing in itself, it is a good example of how we can uh, do better at um, learning rather with, I guess, be more efficient at learning. I hope I got that. Uh, I hope I got that through pretty clearly. If not, it'll become clear as we go along, I'm sure. Yeah. Sorry. Um, to begin with, I guess what I wanted to, to get into today was um, abstraction and conceptualization, mostly because my my inherent penchant is for um, philosophizing routinely and as a matter of religion for all intents and purposes, practically speaking. That's how I apply my, uh, my education. And the reason why philosophy has always been so near and dear to my heart is because I early on in my life learned the benefits of learning how concepts and structures work um, as integrated systems of complex of complexities, as opposed to uh, to studying for the mere sake of achieving a grade or for the end goal of getting a job or um, to appease somebody or something simple like that. And I find even to this day, um, amongst not just friends and family, but people I've worked with and a lot of YouTubers and other podcasters and developers out there often uh, they, they don't realize themselves um, having the same, the same ideological constructs of education and learning that they would probably tell you outright and explicitly they don't subscribe to. So uh, as an example of this, when we talk about um, cons, constructs or systems or organizations and things like that a lot of people and i'm not just saying this as hyperbole i mean you can see it as like in journalists and politicians and everywhere you look even on on tv and in news and um people will tell you if you ask them outright if there is any value to abstractions so simple ones like math Arithmetic is an abstraction. There is no actual number one. It's just a, a number that describes a quantity of some things. And other animals can tell 
greater than or less than, but they can't necessarily tell the same, um, the concept of the number one. They can't ascribe that to a symbol like a number the way we right. So, but like <clears throat> the number one exists as a property of something. So it's the, but the number, there isn't a platonic number one, except for the fact that everything that is, can be counted as one is one. Right. Okay, that, there that's, is no that's one getting one stupid thing. complex, but essentially it's a property of something it, to have a, um, a number to it uh, or an amount. So there is one mug and part of this one mug of what makes it one mug is the fact that it is one. And so because we can't have this concept in reality, it is a structure in our, in our minds that gives, that relates to um, reality. We have this abstraction, but that doesn't mean the abstractions aren't real. Right. So, and that's sort of what we wanted to drill into today is the reality of those abstractions, because it seems to me like a lot of people are cutting themselves off at the, at the, at the knees. Um, once they get to a certain level of abstraction, they sort of feel like they don't need to learn any more abstractions for the rest of their lives. Like school was all there was now that I can count and multiply. I don't need abstract concepts anymore. And I think that's patently false in real terms. And today I'd like, hopefully I could uh, outline how in real terms continuously um, picking up further more abstractions as we go along our daily lives, not only benefits us individually in like quality of life wise, but it also makes it easier and less difficult to do hard things because abstractions are are as a function of themselves purposeful in the sense that they can be applied to a a, a wide variety of different applications whereas learning one specific thing or a factoid or something only applies to that one context in which it was derived so to put that in in other terms um i might consider uh like education being an obvious one. And since we already started with math, um, there, there's no perfect circle, but you can do math related to perfect circles because of the abstraction and the utility of using circles may not be evident or apparent to most people in their daily walks of life. But when you think of all of the things that you use on a daily basis and on an hourly basis, whether that's the telemetry of the, the cell phone signals or it's the rotation and RPM of your, your engine or, um, you know, any number of things from nutrition and health and wellness to uh, how, how to raise a child. All of these things are premised and based on fundamental core values, which they themselves are abstractions of what we hold dear in, in life. So a big part of why this sort of bothers me is not, not that people are doing things wrong or that I think they should be doing them differently. It's that I'm seeing a potential gain or benefit that people are ignoring for no reason other than the fact that it seems too complicated or seems too difficult or it seems useless because the abstraction itself isn't a, um, it, it's not a glowing emblem of something productive or uh, like it, it doesn't make their paychecks bigger 
in the immediate right. sense. Yeah. So you have this thing which, if I learned it, it would be of little utility beyond the fact that I can know it. But um, I think we need to bring it back down to earth a bit, a little maybe less abstract, I guess. But um, uh, it. Now, the world is pretty complex, so you, you think if I specialize, um, I'll be better suited to uh, succeed in the world. Now, um, if you get really good at one thing, then chances are you'll, uh, you can, you don't have to uh, generalize. So you get a job as a, I don't know, a clerk and you you learn how to clerk really well you 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 really got that down the um the mental sets that you have to work through your day or uh you know in your muscle memory you don't need to learn anything beyond that and you've got this and that's a comfortable little niche and there's nothing wrong with that but to push beyond that so what do you do when you get home uh what do you do with the rest of your time or are you just a clerk when it comes down to um university students again, i think we see this a lot is that um you you get people siloed in their own professions um who like, oh, i'm a historian i don't need to learn science or i'm a I, I'm, a, I'm a i'm in the chemistry department or i'm in the agriculture department i don't need to do this and that but always the people that were the most interesting at least i'm not saying be interesting take different sorts of classes although um that happens as a byproduct um are those you know the engineers that would come to a religion class and think okay this does have relevance because i'm looking at what I want to do from a different perspective. And then the other side of that is um, this entire conversation, sorry, <clears throat> I think is what you're trying to get at is um, with something like what we talked about last week, um, with history, you learn the dates, you learn the names, but the word, the name, the William the Conqueror in 1066 don't really mean anything without context. And then what are you going to do with that? Well, you know this thing, so you can pass the test. But the, but unfortunately, life isn't a test. Life after the test is what's more important. So you need to be ready to not just know these things, but act upon them in a way um, such that you... Um, I think what you guys, I guess you were trying to say is that we're preparing for a test when we should be preparing to be versatile in our job. So you're going to, you're going to pass the test. You're going to get your, your uh, nursing degree or doctorate or whatever. You're going to go into the workforce and they're going to say, okay, here's your project. Go. And you're going to be like, oh no, this wasn't a test. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? I need to know the answer. And the problem is, is that there is no the answer. The right. answer is something that you have to be creative about. You have to learn to be creative about engineering. You have to be learned to be creative about chemistry. I need to be learned to be creative because the answer, if we if we knew it, yes, it could be okay. I need to boil this to a certain point, collect the vapor, you know, just blah, 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 do all this stuff, which I can learn from discrete skills that I've memorized and honed. But then um, beyond that, uh, you need to be a problem solver. What happens when 
the equipment fails. What happens when uh, you your boss says, can we do this faster? Uh, what happens when you get put on a team to design a new chemical uh, with very little input and you have to think outside the box? So, Yeah, that's is- definitely part of what I wanted to get at, but I also wanted to sort of, in addition to that, there are aspects of life that aren't so clearly defined. It's not so obvious when we're not talking about a job, when we're talking about raising a kid or how to educate people or how to govern ourselves politically or how to manage our money and our investments or how to make a trade for a sports team. It's being able to know where the limits or the boundaries of your knowledge are. That's also a creative process, being able to think up things that you haven't thought of yet. And I think a big part of abstractions and why I think people don't uh, appreciate them wholly is because they look at them as, like you were saying, that means to the end, where they're looking for the end goal or the right answer or, or that true result. But learning and memorizing a bunch of recipes could make you a good cook in the eyes of the people who eat all your food and love it. But it, it does nothing to help you figure out why something didn't work when it doesn't work out. Did you have the heat on too high? Was the dish too shallow, too wide? Was the sauce too watery? You know what I mean? So like there are spillover effects of understanding fully something from the ground up versus just having memorized it or known it because you were taught it specifically and explicitly to do it in this one one direct kind of way. So finding that comfortable niche in what you want to do for a living is about quality of life because it's, it's not just um, how, what you take home at the end of the day, bringing home the bacon. It's um, it's your ability to manage a crisis or to manage your own mental health or nutrition or fitness. Uh, it's, it's your ability to relate to a person who's not you and who has a completely different way of thinking and believing and functioning. Right. So instead of saying, why has this happened to me? This wasn't in the manual. Uh, You, you know, I was like, well, what's the answer? Like, give me the answer. I need to get it right. And I see this a lot with um, a lot of people that like, give me the answer. Well, there isn't an answer. You have to work something up and um, you have to try something new. You have to, and it's, it generally comes up a lot when you give people um, questions that are uh, almost like you ask an opinion. What is your thought on this? Or what does this make you feel? And they're like, um, what? My favorite was uh, in one of my French classes, I had this professor who was, he was, um, what's, how do I say this? Uh, very uh, strict. No, um, just weird, <laughs> but in a, like a really good way. Oh, he, he put like a, yeah. I mean, he like in a, in a very, he was, he definitely was very forceful. He's like, you know, like you must feel if you do not get out of my class, I, you're useless to me. Ah! <laughs> and he put like a picture of smoke up on the board and he'd be like, point to one random person in the class. And it was random. And he would be like, how does this make you feel? And they'd be like, um, uh, it's smoke wrong. How does this make you feel? like 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 flying in the dark and he's like perfect excellent <laughs> and then like how does this make you feel and the other person in the back goes uh 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 you know nothing blank there's no it's it's not a value you need to come up with something that's beyond a value 
you. It's a, um, you're swimming in the subjective at that point. And um, there isn't an answer to every uh, question, which is, um, I don't know, maybe you were teaching just materialist uh, focused because, um, well, I don't want to pontificate on that quite yet. So, um, well, it's not to say that there's no place though for memorization and things like it's sort of hand in hand, but what I think, I I think the balance is skewed more towards that, that goal oriented, learn this for this, Mm -hmm. you know, one plus two equals three type of thinking. And that's sort of what I wanted to use to bring into the the programming dynamic of our conversation today, because I think it perfectly illustrates how you take binary logic operators and you make dynamic systems out of them. Uh, And to get into that, I think the easiest way is just to think of a simple function. So a simple function could be thought of like an algorithm. Like if you wanted to write a function that adds two things together, you would need a name for that function so that you can call it let's call it sum, and then you need to pass it some parameters so it knows what to operate on, and we can call those A and B. So if if the name of the function sum is defined by adding A with B and outputting that result, you could then say the variable name result equals sum one and two, and then it would add one to two. Now, that sounds like a really simple and rudimentary program to run, and obviously most computers don't need to have that written into them, because obviously if you had a, a sum function, adding one and two, or you know item one and item two, that would have to be pre-programmed into the language already. So you're not really making an effective program by writing a sum function like that. But what's interesting about it is that you can encapsulate functions inside of other functions. So as soon as you want to do another function like multiply, well, it's along the same formula as the one before. You need a name, so let's call it multiply. You need two parameters, one thing to multiply to the other thing. Well, how how are you going to tell a computer to do that? Well, you could use your sum function, or you could use an add function instead. So like two times three equals six, because two plus two plus two, doing that add function three times is six. So you can write a function that embeds another function inside of it. And then suddenly you've got a multiplication operation. And within a multiplication operation, you can apply that to Euclidean geometry and you can start rotating objects. Well, now you need points and coordinate systems. Well. You can learn them by memorizing points and coordinate systems, and you could know the formula and everything off the top of your head, but without actually being able to conceptualize what you're doing on a two-dimensional space, it's not at all clear or obvious that multiplying two points is a rotation. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? But once, once somebody understands how matrix multiplications work without memorizing them, suddenly they can start applying them to things like machine learning, three-dimensional graphics engines, video games, and you can go on and on and on about like neuro-linguistics programming and CAD software. So being able to build all these tiny structures and then building larger structures that encapsulate those structures is very similar to how like computers were built. 
we didn't just build a computer that was 3.6 gigahertz and 18 cores and you know we didn't start with that we started with tiny tiny little circuits and then we bundled a bunch of those complex logic circuits into a chip then we bundled a whole bunch of chips onto a board and then once we took that board we could then make computer build making machines that actually etch onto boards with extreme precision and accuracy using those chips to build higher density chips with more computing power on them. Yeah, a lot of that was done with the what if we tried this um, mentality or we need something like this. Let's just build it. Um, I keep thinking back to the mother of all demos where um, they put together a ton of different concepts, hypertext, CRTs. Um, uh, you have um, display of text. You have, uh, you call these mice and human interface controls so that you didn't have to like type into a keyboard and then the computer would have to read the punch cards transcribed from the keyboard. And then, so you could just type in like your code and it would read it on, read the screen as if it was reading the thing. And so they put a bunch of these together and in 1969, they got what we have is like the first form of what we have in our computers today. Um, but like even something as simple as a transistor was, um, it took more than just memorization to figure it out. They needed to know, okay, we have conductors and now we need semiconductors. Um, and so we need to be able to make it so that if we put in a charge, and we hook another charge up to it, then uh, one thing happens. And if we don't put that next second charge on, another thing happens. So we have a one and a zero. We had vacuum tubes, but uh, those were huge and they created a lot of heat and they uh, they um, they were expensive to make, but a transistor was tiny. It burns out and who cares? It's just some But to silicone. create the vacuum tubes, they had mechanical systems of switches that were actually push buttons on springs on and off with latches, right? I think a lot of the, the Turing vacuum... machine was essentially just a mechanical structure that went through with an algorithm oh, yeah. and processed through. Cha -ching, cha -ching. Yeah, the machine was the algorithm. Yeah. So um, before the, anything digital, um, a computer was just, the. it was designed to do the thing it was built to do and nothing more mm -hmm. um, until you get at programmable computers in the 40s and 50s. But those were even still very specialized and um what ted nelson uh another eccentric would have called um the uh you know all-purpose machine which we don't have computers we have all-purpose machines and they are um i think this is probably what you're getting at is that these machines they don't just compute this part of what they do but what they do is whatever we can imagine them to do and the only thing limiting us is storage, but then the only thing limiting storage is price and physics. But at the same time, within the parameters of the machine we have, like that even I have right in front of me here, I have a lot of options where I just to apply myself to something. Now, the only thing holding me back then is my imagination. So if I want to create something new, what do I have to do is first I have to figure out what I want to create. Well, I could look to my ascribed list of things I could do and just apply those. And you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to put Windows on my computer. Okay, good. And then what are you going to do with that? 
But if I want to do something new, then I have to use a different thought process. I can't just go to the list and see the programs, uh, programs I can install, the uses I can have for this computer. The uses I can have for this computer are limited by my imagination and then by the time it takes to implement that. Now, the time gets quicker when I learn to think better, when I learn to think beyond what is in front of me. And sort of what, what I wanted to get at with that. Sorry, just mm -hmm. stop. No, no, yeah. I'm trying to back you up here. <laughs> okay. It's an iterative process. It's mm -hmm. not just that you have something in mind that you want to create and use your computer to do. There are things your computer can do that you can't even imagine yet because you haven't had time to even look into right. it. Wouldn't it be cool Nobody if my computer could, in the world. if I could hook up my computer to my light switch there and then I could, like I could do it, uh, I can probably think of an, you know, a couple minutes on how I could do it. But like, then I think it'd be neat and I'd learn how to do it, but I can just walk up and go turn it off and on. <laughs> um, now, but more practically speaking, you can start a podcast channel with the computing power sitting in front of you. And mm -hmm. years ago, we never had a podcast channel. Why is that? No. It's not because we never had anything to say or anything to record. It's just, it takes time and energy and effort to learn, uh, learn the tools, but the tools themselves are abstractions built on layers of abstraction, built on layers of abstraction, built on layers of abstraction. Right. Your so computer like isn't just a computer. Us to it's do a it bunch now. of different shit. It's, it's this gestalt of concepts put together yeah. that works. <laughs> and, and you can't just jump steps right? No. We, we couldn't just invent one transistor and then suddenly, oh, well, why don't we just build a CNC machine and an EUV process that makes seven nanometer nodes to the, you know, by 12 billion so that we can have microcomputing and cloud computing. And we couldn't even fathom the internet until after a network was first established. And you couldn't right. fathom a network being established until after we had electronic communications. Yeah, well, that reminds me of well, they, people do that in history. They, they, they see history as just this construct that's happening, and you just got to learn what happened. And it's like, oh, it's very literal uh, approach to it. But then you see people like, oh, Abraham Lincoln was actually terrible because he could have actually done more for how? Why didn't he know to um, do this? with this or why didn't he know about trans people or something he, he was actually a terrible person and it's just like he was working with the abstractions that he had he was working under the constraints he had and things happen the way they happen so you can't just the the problem there isn't with abraham lincoln uh the problem is with your interpretation of this is what should have happened this yeah. is what can happen this is what i want to do this is what i can do that false is... projection of what they would have done had they been in the past in the same shoes and that's right exactly what we wanted to get at here today with appreciating the value of abstractions even though we can't see the future to know that the future is created by our ability to conceptualize and grasp complex ideas and yeah. encapsulate them into things that we can that so, we can grasp and manipulate. The, the 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 problem I would see with something like the Abraham Lincoln story, or why didn't they use this for this, is not a lack of the imagination of, say, someone like um, uh, Douglas Engelbart or something, or uh, the transistor pioneers, or um, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Wozniak. It's um, it's a inability to um 
form a opinion of oneself. Cause if you're saying something like that, you're generally saying something that's um, not your own words or not, sorry, not your own words, but it's something that's um, you're following an algorithm that you didn't create and you in your life, well, all these things, these abstractions of speech and knowledge that we use to navigate all these ideas are, um, we navigate them through these algorithms and, you know, you learn them at school. Okay. If, if, if you read this, then I need to interpret it like this. And then I need to, you know, make sure that I'm not being biased or this or that or that, but you, you don't really do that. You just, you, you become, you integrate those ideas into your analysis and just go with it. And then when you read something, you use those algorithms that you've learned. Now, the thing is, the thing isn't that when you're reading something, so you pull up a book, uh, you pull up a book and you say, okay, I'm going to read it. Now the teacher told me to read things and watch for this. Okay. Now I've got this list of things I need to pay attention to. Now, what you want to do is you want to write your own algorithm. You want to get, you start with these algorithms that the teacher gives you, uh, check the sources, um, look at the structure, what's their argument versus what's their thing, what are their, uh, what are their sources, what's their data say. And then you use that and eventually what you want to do isn't to be able to just know what all the, you know, sources are. Okay, I've read all the, you know, canon texts of my of my faculty and or of my field and therefore i already know it eh, wrong no it's not the books that you want to have read it's the skills to read the books that you want you want to write that yourself because if you don't write it yourself you start doing stuff like abraham lincoln was racist and you start doing stuff like well um you know this is actually a derivative you know you start saying things that are not your words. You're using the algorithm that your professor or their professor learned, um, or someone else in the class learned. It's, it's a, it, 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 you've got this um, implanted abstraction, whereas you can build your own. And this goes for coding, but you're also coding the way you interact with the world yourself. Um, so you can interpret something, this random book I picked up, uh, according to how you think about it and have your own uh, interpretation. And it, I, I would say that an interpretation isn't useful uh, or worth any value unless it's a uh, interpretation like that of an individual, because we can all figure out what, you know, a government or an institution or a, um, a party um, or a um, type of person would say about something. So how would this person say that? How would, and it's, it's useful to do that, but I don't need someone from uh, the CCP to tell me what they think about history because I can get it on my own. I can install that algorithm for a second and be like, okay, that, you know, install it and then, you know, go back to using my own. Um, so I would say people, even though, even the ones that need it, that think they need it, they don't. That's what I'm saying. Yes. And now, false sense of security in the things that are known to all people thinking yes. that that is the way to know things. And I, I would suggest that that's one way of knowing things for yeah. practical purposes. Like if your, if your car is making a noise, I want the mechanic who knows all possible noises and can discern what they might be rather than the one who's memorized every noise for every car problem. 
Right. The guy who a new noise will mean nothing to that that mechanic. They won't be able to help you. Yeah, because he's he instead of knowing it's reasonable rather than rule based, uh, which is kind of what me and my wife have been throwing around here, is that you know you get people who are like, oh, what's what's the contingency for this or what's the contingency for that? Well. You can be reasonable and look at it for itself, or you could follow the rules and say, we need to go to the book. And the mechanic like that is worth more than he's charging. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he's probably in high demand because it's just like, I know this guy, I know a guy and he's busy because, you know, he's a good worker and he knows his stuff generally, but I'm a customer. I have to approach that in a way that, um, because I don't know how to tell a good mechanic I, I, from a bad one. I, I can't tell based on, cause I don't know that world very well. So I have to use a different algorithm to attain that. So generally I use my gut sense and go in and talk to them and if they're helpful and generally if they, if they don't tell me, Oh yeah, we'll take care of it right away. It's just like, if they seem to know and they're actually helpful and they're, 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 they're willing to answer questions, a couple, you know, luddite questions uh not luddite um laity well (laughs) questions from the laity of car repair then generally i can i can okay you know what this guy i can trust him a bit to do his job and not be like oh hey you need a new uh, engine but i got a perfectly good one here it's only gonna cost you way too much Uh, (laughs) so there's always that fear um but you can go what you want is a problem solver because they're solving problems with your engine and you don't want one that's going to go to the book because reality isn't all in one book. And I think that's what we're getting at here is you need to be creative and versatile and almost. I'm sort in- of saying there's more value in it though. I'm not, I'm not saying oh. that you need to do this or you need to do that because we should be able to trust other people to do their jobs and whatever. What I'm getting at though mm-hmm. is what you, what you had mentioned the mechanic who's memorized sounds is still useful as a mechanic for most situations, but the more valuable knowledge, the more sustainable life sustaining knowledge that that mechanic who understands deeply what the combustion chambers and gear ratios and engine displacement mean, that mechanic can then transpose those sets of understandings to other things like fluid dynamics and airplanes. Right. Or they can they can fix the plumbing in their house maybe because they understand one sound is similar to oh. another sound based on the the mechanics of fluid systems moving. Right. So when I was thinking of, you know, the mechanic who knows all those sounds, but when a new sound happens that he's never heard before, he goes, Ah, let's 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 move forward and I can they can handle that. But at the same time they can that you have that mechanic who can take those lessons he learned fixing cars or faucets or whatever and um apply that to other forms of uh other parts of his life so uh it's like okay what do i need to do here well what i need to do is sit down look at what the problem is you know it's not a gasket it's a uh uh my son's not home and it's 11 p.m and i need to assess the problem i need to do this so you're 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 learning you're not learning a contingency. You're learning to learn as you go. Yeah. And it's processing. And that yes. sort of gets us back to the computer analogy yeah. or reference, I guess I should say. 
because the process of breaking down what you want to build in an application using binary logic and using a syntax and language of a programming construction, um, that process is applicable to all other aspects of life, whether you're in medicine and nursing or geriatric care, or if you're a politician, or if you're an athlete trying to get the most out of their body for you know the pursuit of excellence. There's a whole bunch of offshoots that stem from that type of thought process of compartmentalizing problems, reusing reusable structures, and coding them in such a way that makes them dynamic, but very specific so that they're not prone to failure. So in the instance of a mechanic having a, um, a noise or something emanating from their faucet that sounds similar to like engine knock or something, they might have an idea of there being a lack of airflow in the, in the plumbing stack or a construction worker who understands uh, angles and rotation, they might be more adept at um, not just inventing things, but also assessing situations. Something completely irrelevant to their field of, of expertise. You get someone who like looks at blueprints or they'll be able to be better at visualizing things in space. Uh, it's just they got to get this problem a lot um it's fa it's kind of almost a famous problem with soldiers where they um they learn all these skills and they come to um the civilian world after they retire or, uh get out and they don't know what to do they're famously bad at finding a job if they don't have a network to get into and often they do um but uh, it's hard because well, I was a soldier. Well, what are you good at? I'm good at section attacks. Okay, what else? Well, uh, I, I know how to pack a ruck and I can walk real far. Jeez, oh, okay. But like the one of the things that they're not realizing is that they have lots of experience working as a team. They probably have extensive leadership experience. They probably have, uh, you know, their... Um, probably a lot more immune to hardship than most people they, they follow directions really they're, well they're probably yeah they follow directions and they um they can switch tasks on a dime and they can uh what do you call it uh they have probably very good um spatial and visual skills so and they can suppress their emotional reactions to environmental variables yeah. and you know downsides like they probably drink a lot but <laughs> um so the thing is that you don't know to say this. So, well, I know what I know. And the, the difference is, is that you, you've learned one thing, but the skills you learned, the, the, the skills you've honed in learning that and using those, that knowledge can be applied to anything. You just have to apply it to a different template. So, um, heck, I can apply, uh, you know, my scholarship to washing dishes. Uh, I just have to learn Okay, what do I need to learn? Okay, this there. Okay, I've got everything visualized. Okay, now I gotta stand there and wash the dishes, crank. There's a problem, I gotta fix it. So I can apply the things I've learned to I just have to apply them to different contexts. And yes, you're gonna have to learn a new thing, but you're always learning new things, so you might as well learn it actively. Have fun. <laughs> but but it's sort of the difference between learning how to cook a new thing by memorizing the recipe or following the direction. And mm -hmm. learning how to cook a new thing 
because you know how you want it to come out and you have an experience, a track record of trying all these different varieties of um, recombinations. Right. to, To put it in another way, the person reading the blueprints might be really good at something that is completely unrelated to spatial awareness. They might be really good at teaching a child with autism how to read. Like you have no idea. I'm just saying, like, I'm not saying this is the case oh, yeah. for all of these types of people. What I'm saying is when people apply or learn a skill abstractly, then it becomes more valuable and useful to them personally and to the world um, uh, as a whole by consequence. So understanding, for instance, um, math and rate of change or like calculus. So um like finding the area underneath uh, a plotted graph or something like that seems really abstract and arbitrary and probably only useful to physicists and things like that. But when a nurse is in a hospital managing somebody's diabetic care and they can't distinguish the difference between a single meter reading and the vector of change between two meter readings, they can, they can give somebody poor healthcare. And it's just, it's not because they didn't study and it's not because they didn't get good grades in school. Their thought process is so fixated on just the grade that they lost the ability to apply what they learn. So the skill they learn isn't actually a skill. It's basically a technique and you don't want to learn technique. Well, you, you do want to learn technique because technique helps, but when yeah. the point of a skill shouldn't be to learn the technique. That's why well, they're separate. You see this with children too, because um, we, we kind of, when we're young, we, um, we, we, we push, we push our luck a lot and we see what we can get away with and we see what gets us, uh, oh, it's so nice. And, uh, oh, you're going to get beat. Um, and generally we're, we're testing reality because we don't know very much. We have generalized, um, generalized inputs and outputs, you know, uh, you know, evolutionary, evolutionarily calibrated, um, actions, but generally we don't know what gets us, you know, more food or more candy or, you know, gets us to watch cartoons, uh, when we're like kids, but we learn what works and what doesn't through, uh, a process of, um, hair pulling experimentation. Um, most of the hair pulling is on the part of the parents. Uh, it's like, oh no, I screwed up, and the kid runs away. Uh, and the parents are like, oh geez, he's trying that thing again. But um, the this process of learning, you don't have to stop it. It's like, okay, you're eight now, so it's time to memorize facts. <laughs> well, the thing is that you can memorize all the boiling points, blah 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 blah, or you can just show them. It's just like, okay, boil the water. When does it? When does it, um, when does it start to boil? Add heat to the water. What happens to it at what degrees? And you're like, well, it started to turn into water vapor at hundred degrees Celsius. It's like, funny that why? So, um, this, this testing and trying and building of our own algorithms is I kind of, I'm going to keep with that metaphor. Um, and that's essentially what we're doing with Lego. We're given a set number of blocks and a space that we can attach them together. And there are pretty much an infinite different ways of recombining all these Lego pieces. And that's why adults and kids can play with Lego because we've never, any one of us has never seen every possible combination of Lego. 
Right. We're or like Minecraft. inventing new ways for our minds to recombine these puzzle pieces together. Whereas a picture, a puzzle with a picture is sort of the same, but it's different. It's the same in the sense that um, there are uh, like the pieces are laid out in front of you and they're pre-built. So that's like the syntax to the programming language. They're pre-built. But trying to visualize what the outcome will be is very different from building something without any idea of what the outcome will be. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like this, there's a place and, and there's room for structured play because it does help our brains develop specific traits and skills and uh, applications. It's not to say that they're not valuable. But another thing that is very valuable, if not equally valuable, I would suggest is more valuable is the abstraction because it may take them longer to figure out how to do things like compound interest to figure it out for themselves. But the capacity to figure out compound interest without memorizing the formula is mm -hmm. exponentially more valuable. Right. So it's the difference life. between you get it and well, I just apply the I, I just apply the formula and it works, which is why I was so bad at math because mm -hmm. I was trying to like what is cross multiplication and everyone's <laughs> looking at me like you're an idiot, and it was a bit of a bad way of going about it because I, you know, had other things to do, but, um, I was trying to approach it in a different way and I was getting the gist of it slowly, but, uh, what I was being told to do was just, just apply, just apply the math, just apply the math. And it just works like that. And there's some, um, there's some wisdom to that. Yes. You apply, you just keep applying the math and eventually you'll be like, oh, now I get it. I just, I've been applying it 30,000 yeah. times and now I get it. But sometimes. And practice means it's useful and practical. So if it's not right. something you're going to do every day, then maybe just knowing how to do the useful thing is worthwhile. But, but like, and at some point there's like, we have to actually, like, we could just straight up not learn it. We just keep applying it for the rest of our life and never understand it, which is kind of a part of human nature because well, why do we do this we don't know but it keeps the village alive so we're just gonna keep doing it and not ask too many questions because we could break it um when it's like a water pump <laughs> where does the water come from the pipe <laughs> so i and um now but I mean, with that said, like not everybody can learn everything, right? So we do have to pick and choose the things we get to know. So compound interest may not be important in, in your daily life. And it's fine that you can learn how to, how to read a formula and how to use any formula you're given. That's mm -hmm. an abstract skill too. Learning how to use any formula and practicing on compound interest formula is very valuable. But what I'm getting at is it may not be obvious and apparent how useful it is for somebody to be able to develop themselves the formula for compound interest. And they may look like they're not learning math very quickly, like me, but eventually they might be writing machine learning algorithms based on the way they learn math. And it's not to say one thing is better or worse than the other, or that everybody should do it. But the unifying structure here is with code anybody can build anything. They can build a 3D representation of material reality. They can build simulation systems. They can build websites that just display archives. That's all they want to do is data structures and uh, chart graphs and analytics. 
But with programming, you can also write functions for your business. So if you had a pricing model and you want to know how to, how to produce an estimate for a customer, that's an algorithm. That's something that programming can teach you how to formulate in your head. But without practice, most people just sort of guess and they hope that their intuition and their gut feeling is right. But that, that's not a useful way of applying an abstraction to just rely on intuition and then get burned so many times that you finally figure it out. If we right. taught everybody programming, they would have the tools to use it in whatever application they applied it to down the road, whether that's finance, education, arts, like music is all sine waves. Mm -hmm. You know, being able so, to manipulate waveforms through math is very much audio production. That's what audio engineering is. So I, I, I don't know how much of a, I'm, I'm very wary of, um, I guess, talk that says, um, if we just do this, we'll show an improvement. But um, because I feel like we actually have to look at the abstractions of it um because i uh if it works for one person it doesn't work for everybody but what it sounds like and i don't want to reduce everything to art because music isn't just sine waves um it's also the reaction to those sine waves but our brains uh, process the math that's what we that's why we find right. harmonics well, and things yes. appealing. but um it sounds like what you're describing uh, sounds a lot like um, concept from that I learned a while ago, uh, where you have this idea that art is greater than reality because you can create anything with art and reality is stuck in one form. So um, now we have paint and we have uh, a story and we have music, which can create these um, other uh states places ideas now the technology that we've gained in the last 50 60 years allows us to do this but on a more generalized level so you can only make so many auditory uh you know you only have this much to play with but with um the medium constrains itself with these visual and uh acoustic mediums but with coding in itself you can create um anything you can it's a tool that is almost more than language it seems um, because with language i can say whatever i want within the constraints of my language when i bump up to complexity but when you're coding with something you can create something that either conforms in a different way to reality or creates its own reality within its own um, parameters. That assumes um, that there's a natural fundamental programming language, which there isn't. There are thousands no, of programming languages because of their applications. Right. So things. that's what I'm saying is that not, I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not referring to one programming language. I'm referring to the concept of right. That's programming what I'm trying to itself. jive with your, your form of art, just like there are many forms of art. And even though there is a limited band that our ears can perceive of, you can multiplex different waveforms over and across each other. Right. The but same it still way that up. colors can overlap, even though they're just wavelengths of light, 
Mm. Can overlap colors and shapes can intertwine and meld together, right. and you can but, create unique shapes with unique colors with unique sounds and make a movie that nobody's ever seen before. Right, all but art. you can with, do that with programming too. Now let's. I kind of want to bring this back to the practical before we uh, dive out into the abstract again, because um, with coding, you I guess. There's that thing, we'll just learn to code, but that's not really, that's not what we're talking about. No, um, I'm because, talking about the thought process behind coding is what we should be teaching. Right. So um, I'm generally bad at language. Uh, I've learned French-ish um, and I just, I'm, I'm very slow with it uh, in relation to, but I learned a lot from learning languages and I learned a lot from coding, even though when I, I code, I get easily frustrated and it's not, I don't have the temperament for it, but that doesn't mean I didn't learn anything from it. I can see the, I, when I apply my, 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 my thought processes to it, I, I can see how I can create something and I can see the errors in my approach to things. But, um, The reason why I bring up code though, yeah. is accessible. Yes. Everybody has a web browser and everybody can just jump in and start doing it. And you can all, right from the get-go, you can start building something visual or building something practical. You can do whatever you want. You could just make functions that call each other just to see if it crashes, right? Like you right. do it for the sake of logic itself. Well, and it's complex enough that it, um, the discovery can be fun. Um, you yeah, know, you just go on to W3 schools and, uh, you, uh, just start creating, what do you want to build? And, uh, uh, you watch tutorials and it takes study and it takes perseverance. But when you, when you figure something out, when you actually get it running, it's, it's pretty rewarding and the exploration in itself can be quite pretty rewarding. That's the education right there. Yeah. The exploration that you act, it's not succeeding or failing. It, it's making your brain bend over and over again to try and figure out what is not reacting as expected. I think mm -hmm. that's the value in it. Yeah. So I'm usually pretty good at, you know, figuring out a problem, stepping back, getting the idea, getting the, you know, looking at it from different angles, but like, it's what I do, what happened here? Why did it happen? Blah, 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 blah. But when it comes to coding and it, it's, it says it's working and then I run this and then I run the, I run the program. It's like, why isn't it working error? And I look and the commas are all in the right place. And I'm just like, all right, I'm going to destroy my computer now and I will enjoy that. So I'm wondering if now, if we could go into um, if it's not so much coding in itself, but you're, you're, you're suggesting coding as a way of uh, exploring this, um, is it because you are dealing in almost pure abstractions? You're using these things which refer to other things, and you are building something in your head before you're building it on the screen. And you're, you say, okay, I want it to do this. And you have to kind of think. I think it's more like the perfect, the perfection of it because it's binary. The computer will tell you every time it doesn't work. It will mm -hmm. always fail if it's not consistent. Yeah. Cause you Whereas get garbage art, in garbage if out. You to, if you wanted to draw something and have the shading or the lighting <clears throat> look proper, 
you could draw it with improper lighting and it'll just look off and you won't know why your brain knows why but it won't tell you necessarily why like i suck at drawing because i'll put shade here and then shade here and i won't understand why it looks stupid because mm-hmm. well, like, the thing your brain it. is that's your intuition talking generally when i get that like, but it's that i listen to my feedback. yeah that's but like i listen to you. my yeah so i listen to my intuition there and what happens is that's not like oh i need to go this way it's why am I feeling like I, like I need to go that way? And you can ask yourself that. But um, it sounds like this would work for a lot of, like, I don't know if everyone would get the same benefit from coding that, like, uh, you and I did. I didn't get as much as well, you that's did. that's what I aim to convince you of today, is mm-hmm. to show you that even if you're not good at coding or you don't program anything exceptional, and if you don't do it for a living and it never makes you money and you never use it for your business doing that is infinitely more rewarding to your brain than doing math because math is purely abstract, but they teach it to you just by rules. Chances are the way the teacher learns it best is the way they're going to teach it to you to learn it to you best. Mm. Right. Whereas with code, it's an instant response, no matter what you try to uh, produce with it. If you give people the basic structure of language and tell them they can write any anything they want, they just have to use a concept that was taught. Right. Teaching well, writing... them that process is more value. That's what we're trying to teach them by teaching math to kids. Right. So it's very similar to writing stories and stuff like that. But yeah, one of or the hardest things. Anything. Yeah, but one of the hardest things to for people is when you say, "All right, write me a story," and they're like what do you want me to write? Well, write anything. And then it's just deer in headlights because you have that infinity of possibility. You have that pure freedom on the page. Oh, you just tap them on the bum and say, write me a program that adds two numbers together. Yes. Okay. But what I'm saying is um, when you're writing a story is that you give, you have these people who have all of a sudden they're encountered with this, this freedom that they've never, uh, they've never had before. You have, you can do anything on with that with that pencil and that paper, um, and it stops a lot of people. And now, yeah, you can do it like that, and you say, "Okay, now do this small thing, and now do this other small thing." You write about through. your dream last night. Write about yeah. Your so write describe about a house. Trying to or, write. <laughs> yeah. So uh, make the make the sprite appear on the screen. All right. Now make it move to the left. All right. Now make it move to the right when you click a. Uh, another thing. All right. Now make it only move when you, uh, have a, put an input towards it. Now map the inputs and now you can have this little guy move around the screen with, you know, a couple clicks of a button. He goes when you press it. So you can build upon that and you know, slowly, slowly, slowly becomes greater and greater and greater. And hopefully they remember it. And, you know, then from there, that's when you have, from my perspective, that's when the practice starts in. I showed you what you need to learn. Just because you've done it doesn't mean you know it at all. It just means you've done it once mm-hmm. and that's all it means. So you, now you need, that's when you need to sit down and put the hard work in, not before you learn anything. Oh, I need to memorize all the concepts. Okay. But you need to engage with it before the concepts make any sense. Context is key. So you need, okay, I did this and now I need to do it 75 times. So now I don't just, I don't just, know how to do it i i i i know its use i i i it's inside me now and you have this practical 
knowledge, but it's not knowledge anymore. It's a skill and you can build skills upon skills. And then with those skills, you can become at some point you can become creative and not just, um, and not just like, Oh, I'm going to imagine whatever and imaginative, but you can come, you can get close to being original which is, you know, the holy grail of creativity. You know, you can do something original. Mm. Um, it's almost like a philosopher's stone. <laughs> but um, I would say the, exactly the philosopher's stone. That's exactly what I'm getting at right there. Mastering abstractions is the philosopher's stone to anything else you could do in the world. It's not just math or graphics or uh, geometry. You're talking about like, what do I do when my car breaks down? What's the first thing I should check? What's the second thing I should check? My kid doesn't come home. What things should I worry about? And what things are just my anxiety? You should worry that he's going to come home because then he's going to get his ass beat. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, our our brains will automatically do irrational things. So just to have our own peace of mind, we have to be able to think and destructure problems rationally. So if you want to live a life with less anxiety, one good way of doing that is to have a better awareness of how the world works. And that's yeah. not just meaning how my computer works with software. It means by understanding how to encapsulate and repurpose abstractions, how you could use that everywhere else in, in your daily life. Well, you being part of the everything you're living in, you do have to master that part first and then you know gain control see what you're doing. Be honest with yourself about what's happening at your current state of life. Oh, I deserve this. I deserve this, uh, you know, or that, or uh, I don't need to work today and I don't get to work. <laughs> and, mm. um, you know, you, you convince yourself stuff. No, you push We're yourself. Citizen entitlements but, without being activists. <laughs> yes. You know, we're talking about you. Um, no, <laughs> um, but uh, these, um, mastery takes effort and i think that's where a lot of it comes to and um wondering if i can steer us in a bit of a different direction for a bit and we can come back you could but i just want to point out just for the record that mastery isn't what i'm getting at i'm not suggesting anyone should master code because it's a it's a nightmarish life (laughs) but i'm saying mastery of not mastery of code or mastering something externally to yourself is a a feat that is laudable and if you think you've done it if you need to tell other people that you've done it then you haven't mastered anything it's like you know Margaret or if Thatcher you need credit saying, for it like accreditation like a certificate yeah. or something then you haven't mastered it <laughs> yeah so because mastery of yourself is- can lead to aptitude in other places um and mastery includes becoming that abstract thing uh, i keep hearing um uh, the word Jedi being thrown around for stuff like this, where you can just go from sphere to sphere and put on different hats and be able to discuss without getting angry and be able to learn things uh, because you can, instead of just being like, no, I can't, or no, I'm stuck in this silo. So one thing I've encountered, and if I'm going to steer us in a bit is, uh, so we've talked about a lot of, a lot of what we've been talking about is very positive, very, this is what we can do. Um, now, one thing I've seen, and it goes against this very heavily, and it's a tendency in a lot of people, and I think I was guilty of it um, in my, some of my earlier classes, is that when you encounter complexity, you 
submit to it. And this is something that I've seen. So you, and we might've talked about this in previous episodes, but um, one thing I've noticed a lot of students doing is that you'll get that notion that, oh, there's certain things that we cannot know. And therefore there's no point in trying. Um, and this, this surrender to complexity uh, you know, this idea is almost used as a point of data. So uh, everyone, people can't talk to each other because we can't be go into the mind of another. It's, it's, you know, it's just, it's a, you can't see life from someone else's perspective. And if they so talk don't another, even try. yeah, don't even try. Yeah. Or if, uh, how do we can, we can't even communicate with people who speak another language or are from another culture. It's like, what about translators? And I remember being in class and people being like, no, you don't understand. And I remember saying, um, we were talking about how different cultures have different conceptions of the world. And it's like, yeah, duh, but everyone knows what a boat is. How do we have translators? We <laughs> lost a boat on the water somewhere around here. Are there bodies of water somewhere? So the concepts are, you know, boat or some form of boat or something that floats so you start with the commonalities and then body of water lost. So bad question mark, <laughs> question mark. And then, you know, and they're like, yeah, we saw something weird uh, over in the, uh, in the Bay over there and they have different words and concepts and abstractions for it, but you still have these commonalities. So all through all of this complexity, you've managed to, forge a way through and by not stopping by saying oh no complexity and then you know stopping and being like oh that's something we shouldn't that, that we can't know it so you know we're just gonna hurt people and we're just excuse excuse it's just an excuse it's just an you, excuse you stopped trying when things got complex when you came across a, a thing so the adversity is you're dealing with something and dealing with abstractions is not easy it's, it's anything worth doing isn't going to be easy it's it's actually takes active effort most of the time to do it then you need to put those you know you put abstract concepts together you play with them around but when you give up it gives you an excuse to not try and a lot but of times i think you people can, get like that because they're taught to they're taught over and over and over again to know the answers. They mm -hmm. get tested yes. on the answers. They succeed based on their quality of their answers and some higher authority judging their answers and awarding them some type of credit for it. That to me is the problem of not thinking abstractly. Mm -hmm. You're not empowering people by having them submit to their being a right and wrong of anything. You're not creating a better population with a better quality of life, or you're not, um, you're not harnessing invention and ingenuity or grit and determination. You're, you're not promoting character in people as human beings or societies or cultures by telling them prescribed truths. If something is universally true, we should all arrive to it no matter how we look at it. We right. should be allowed to criticize and openly think about every perception perspective, even if it's not accurate, we should be allowed to openly discuss that thought, that idea, that mm -hmm. purview. Well, even when, like even something that other people know, you can push your own bounds and reach that truth 
through the complexity. But um, I think you hit on something right on the head there. And knowing the answers is, it's a, it's a great way of putting it. You, you exist in a world where you know the answers and therefore you know nothing. Um, now, if you can become that conceptual Jedi when you can exist comfortably without any of the answers and still blaze a way forward, still work within the world, because it's like, well, do you know anything? Well, I know a couple of things, but uh, while I'm working with things I don't know, more than with things I know, because the things I know are just tools that I can use to get at things I don't know yet. And I working with these conceptual abstractions. So you're working, what I was trying to do with, uh, especially in my thesis was I wasn't, I was trying to find something that uh, I wasn't just trying to ask a question or start a conversation. I was trying to say something that I hope no one had said before, or if they had, I was trying to say it to people that hadn't done it before. I was trying to do it in a way, um, especially I did this with my first chapter, um, was I was putting together a way of looking at something in an abstract way that no one had done, I hope, or at least no one had done quite the same before. So I was trying to be, uh, I was trying to create a new abstraction. I was trying to find uh, my own question that I could answer. So there wasn't a question that I could put a right answer to. And what I was doing was um, working within that, uh, that space without the answers, as you put it. And I ended up creating something that I was uh, very happy with. And um, it was very uncomfortable while I was there, but I, you get used to it, I think is the thing. Um, you can live in that world without answers, but you're not going to be pushing yourself anywhere new. If you, you know, but I think become... that leaves potential on the table. You know what I mean? Like how so? Oh, I mean, oh, not, right, which not pushing yourself in, into yes. comfortable space. What, what it's doing is it's, it's, it's essentially giving yourself leeway and credit to do as little as possible yes that's well that's I think that yeah. doesn't that doesn't make us better as people like even well, it, in the it, near it term close. or in the you long get... term like the grand scheme of reality and human species like it doesn't make us a better people right in general Be well and though that's because well first of all you're creating clones you're only gaining the knowledge that the professor has and then you're giving the knowledge to the people. So you're just creating a clone. But the other thing is that the world exists as um, a place that you can't predict. And you will have, there's abstractions out there that are going to hit you that you don't have a basis for. And when they hit you, you need to be able to react as that you know conceptual Jedi and say, all right, this is a new problem. I got to work it out. And when a actual problem that, you know, have an answer comes at you, when you, the one, something that, you know, is within that realm of answers and that known realm, then it should just be like, well, um, my example, I guess would be when, um, I was a victim of arson and this was a known, no, it was a, like, I, I could, I could, I could imagine what happens when, I, my car burns down or my bike gets stolen. I don't need to be get, I don't need to panic. I don't need to get too worried about it because I know what to do. It's not 
it's like I know the answer already. And it's okay. It's just a long, annoying process. I don't like it, but I don't need to, you know, gasp in shock. Uh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You revel in your, you revel in the chaos because people give stuff and they give you sympathy and they give you. And along that same vein, having insurance, you don't need to memorize your insurance policy to know that your car was covered because that's a layer of abstraction that you could pull out of away right. from the equation to still benefit your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can pull that out and still have use for it. So this is, this is kind of where I wanted to take the tangent. Uh, I didn't really know it was going to come here, but you <laughs> said a few things that I really thought were uh, um, quite valuable. Oh, that's what we're here. So let's bring it back to coding. Cause um, I'm not completely convinced because I think other people might get it out, but I think that you've convinced me on um, one point, even though I don't think you actually made it, was that we should all attempt or engage with programming in some way, shape, or form. Now, coding in schools. So you get people coding not to, but not to like, you know, like a middle school or high school thing, or in like, even in elementary, you can teach HTML to uh, elementary kids. And you're like, look, I you learned made this... in elementary school. Yeah. You look, you made this screen blue on oh, look, you press a button and now it's green. Oh, wow. It's crazy. And it's actually, uh, it's, 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 it's fun. But at the same time, you can't just be like, uh, you know, cause you have parents and people saying, well, what are you teaching them? You know, useful skills. They don't need to learn tangents and cosine and, you know, you better be teaching them. They're never going to need this. It's like, well, thanks for limiting your own children. But, um, at the but same to that time, note, we already do that. We already say you have to either take art, music, or language. Some other classes, they, some other schools have drama class. Mine didn't. Some other schools have programming class. Yeah, they're not there. It's, it's already a type of French compulsory. anymore. <laughs> it's an elective they, they, compulsory, though. They took history out. Uh, well, history's been on the chopping block for a while. Geography's been on the chopping block. Even gym now is on the chopping block. That's you need, brutal. Everybody well, has a body. We should all know how to take care of it. <laughs> mind that's important. You got to expand. So, um, that's another what, topic for another day. Yeah. I would love to drill into that. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm thinking is that, you know, if you teach it in schools, but you don't teach it, you don't teach it solely, you're not going to be able to get away with it. Um, you don't teach it solely with the aim to, you know, you're going to learn how to do this because coding is the future, blah, 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 learn to code. No, you need to learn to code because it's something you can learn. It's an outlet for creativity and effort and positive effort. That's uh, creative effort. This is productive it's a productive to me the pursuit. more important part is the abstractions the way it teaches yes. you to handle and manipulate abstractions is the value right it's not now, the output or the outcome no but that's what i'm saying right. is that it's valuable because and it the abstract nature of it adds value to its productivity so it's it's not like i could build i could make a bunch of blocks and it, it, i could do it but then i'd have a bunch of blocks but there's nothing much else to that. I could code, I could, I could go on my computer and 
render and code a bunch of blocks on my and, and make a program where I could click on them and move them around. Now, the thing is that that productivity has made that program, but it's also given me a skill I didn't know before. I can cut a bunch of wood up. But here I'm working with more than just the things that allow me. I need to work with, you know, mathematical abstractions, just, um, just like you're saying. And that productivity isn't the endpoint. Just like you say, the, the endpoint, the end, um, um, the, the, um, the, 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 the goal. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I didn't um, think it could be that simple. Sorry. <laughs> um, is, uh, I had a rough night. Sorry. If no, no, uh, everyone's not. listening. This is why I'm a bit, um, uh, usually I'm more helpful, but I'm, I was thinking of six syllable words. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the, uh, the goal, the ends to the, uh, the, the, it's, Again, I think what I'm saying is that it's the journey that's important here. And the journey but, is that practice with using those concepts to create the thing. The end thing, it doesn't matter. You've got blocks on your screen now and you can click on them. But the things that you have to do to get to that are, are the, the abstractions and the, the practice with playing with those will make you look at things differently. And I think that's what you're trying to get at. Well, I'm, what I'm trying to get at, though, is similar. I don't wanna, but it's yeah, because nitpicking words, I could I could just rephrase it a bunch because the, the word <laughs> doesn't really matter. It's the concept behind the word, but the abstraction the that, that matters. we keep skipping over, though, is the syntax. There's structure to it. It's very, mm. very ordered and structured, and it's compiled, and it's interpreted, and it's it's that's why it always produces the same output every time you give it the same input. Every time you write a code with an exception fault in it, and it crashes... It will right. crash. It's never going to work sometimes. That's perfectly logical. Right. Yeah. So it's just like math or just like learning scales in, in music. And it's just like learning um, shading or lighting in art. And it's just like learning acting or memorizing lines or Shakespeare in drama. It's exactly like all other compulsory electives in the sense that it has schoolable structure to it that is also useful in a career but the aftershock to it is exactly the same as music and art and drama and law hmm. and language in the sense that it opens your mind to an entirely new scape of um, opportunity. Right. It's not just opportunity in the sense that you can code an engine that's like super complicated that nobody else did before. It's as simple as being able to script a little code that helps you in your construction business to price uh, estimates, right? Like it can be that simple where you just need number of square feet, not uh, price per yard of material. That's how much my flooring is going to cost. It can be as simple as that, but like, mm. it's actually more practical and useful than playing an instrument. Cause most people don't make money playing instruments, but we recognize already the intrinsic value of music in school. We right. already recognize the intrinsic value of art. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it is art and it is music, but it's also more. So it should be the obvious compulsory that people learn in addition to electives, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was looking at it more abstractly. <laughs> um, yeah. So do so it like you can use it to apply to your other studies. Even like if you're studying geography and you want to try and get a map of like coastline, well, 
anybody who's watched a shore ebb and flow knows that the co- coastline changes every time the waves move. Yeah, as a I historian, I could calculate with a lot more accuracy than you could a four a four year Fourier transform of a shoreline, and you could get a really really accurate detailed estimate of the average shoreline for a country and throw that at your geography teacher as just a, a you know what i mean for extra bonus points like yeah it's a it's a fun way of playing with education to be able to do anything you want with one domain of expertise like math and applying it to another domain of expertise like geography and then throwing it into an epoch time scale and step it back to your history teacher for a geography of a mathematical equation of a computer science application mm-hmm. like and it's I think, the one thing that's cross domain that I we think, don't teach people yeah so um aside from the obvious other benefits like now you know how a computer generally kind of works because a lot yeah, of people yeah the obvious stuff like that yeah because <laughs> we uh, use software and everything because there's a lot of people you know it's like kids nowadays are uh you know so much computer illiterate than it's like actually i don't believe that's true. It's yeah. our generation that had to, you know, mess around with DOS a bit. And, and dial like, up. We had yeah. to dial into the internet, not just grab it out of thin air. Like it's <laughs> Or those like uh, computer hobbyists from the 70s and 80s who um, had to, you know, the, the, the computer was a kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then... It's like Shenzhen uh, IO. Yeah. Uh, and you had to like, go to Radio Shack and, you know, I need a, this kind of resistor. And then you'd have to go home and solder it and you get, you get the drilled, um, you get the drilled motherboard, but then you have to solder in all the pieces yourself and then program the thing yourself and then boot it up. And then hopefully it works. And then it's like, what's thermal paste and what's a PCB and what, what's a capacitor and what, what's a resistor and what's voltage and what's amperage, like all of these other concepts. There's no brown guy in the middle of India. Who's like, okay, here's how it works. Um, By the way, if you are one of those guys, bless you. <laughs> Those guys from India who are like, all right, now we're going to be looking at how uh, a you know uh, redundancies and SQL work. And I'm just like, thank you. <laughs> um, so, but, but not to stick it strictly to coding, though. the The idea mm-hmm. of abstractions and conceptualized learning over learning specific um, traits or properties or details. I think is the emphasis and focus of of what I wanted to get at. Right. Because it doesn't apply, even though code is a perfect, like programming is a perfect um, segue into all these other manifestations of it and, and knowledge and education as a whole. Uh, is The way I understand wisdom or um, like fulfillment, the things that actually matter to us, like core values and love, and like richness and not by like your bank account richness, but like your richness of family and friendships and like the depth of life itself, the essence of quality. How well are you living? Not how are you feeling? What's that? Yeah. How yeah, are you feeling see, about this smoke? <laughs> one of the, um, one of the things that I gathered about, at least from my life is that um, recently I've been noticing that I can just, I need to teach a class all right, I don't know anything about that. 
I'm going to go down and learn it. And that's the thing I can do now is that before when it's like, I need to write a 500 word essay. Oh no. Uh, which I can do by accident now. Um, are, um, like the, the writing, it just takes time. You just got to write and then eventually you'll just get better at it. But, um, and it takes practice. But the thing is, is that before I didn't know how to learn. So going to university forced me into a situation where I needed to uh, learn. Now I can do all the stuff that the professor was, you know, holding my hand with and doing that and doing, and I can just go and find information, put together um, narratives and histories and, and ideas all on my own now. So I didn't learn the narrative of history, which is what a lot of, I guess, these postmodern students are thinking is that they're just teaching you um, they're teaching you this narrative and that narrative is the one you're in, in learning. But the thing is, is that they're not understanding that they can make their own one up. They can, they can do their own reading and come to their own conclusions. You don't have to be subject to other people's conclusions. Now the retort to that would be, but you're using a gendered blah, blah, blah. Okay. Screw off. <laughs> I'm done. But what I did was I learned to make my own I learned to learn, essentially. I was able to work with my own abstractions and create them too, not just not just work with like the abstractions that are readily available around me, but I learned to make my own that I can play with. And that is ultimately the goal of education, right? I mean, some of it is to make us functional human beings in society, but we want people to be autonomous beings in society. Yeah, there are things... Yeah, there are things you do need to memorize, unfortunately. Um, so, like, especially when you're working with hazardous materials, you need to know the temperature at which um, this explodes. or the So these things, and sometimes you do need to sit down and memorize things, but it's not, that's one way of gaining it. That's, uh, actually, you know what, nuts of this, I'm just going to lay it out. The way I see it is that there's three forms of this. You have data information. We laid this out in my first in our first episode, episode one, uh, or maybe episode two. It might have been the data episode. You have information, data, like information points. Um, you can use that to create knowledge, things you know, things you okay. So you have the first is just dates and names, values. Just, uh, and then the second one is you have a uh, sets of values that create knowledge. So you have, um, what does this mean? Then you can use knowledge to create wisdom. How do I apply that? And wisdom is, for me, the what you want to be working towards because you get data by memorization. You get knowledge by putting data together and coming to a conclusion. You get wisdom by using those conclusions. And you can't, you do need to gain the data. How does these, how do these material works? What happened? What are the dates and names? Why did they do that? Knowledge. Should I try and avoid doing something like that? Wisdom. So I know this is simplistic, but this is generally how I've seen this, you get these three tiers of information. And I'm not the one who came up with this at all. In fact, I want to credit 
maybe Carl Sagan, but I don't know where I got it. Don't know the epistemology of this thought process. So I'm using an abstraction that someone else came up with, but I've modified it to my own use. It's not my algorithm, but like I said, originality is the holy grail. So, um, but I'm using it for my own means and I've adapted it and I've abstracted it on my own. Now it's grokked in there. So I think that might be a good place to take a break. Um, maybe when we come back, you can, uh, you can, we can open us up by delving into the whole grok. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how much I've got left in me. Um, cause like I said, I had a re- really weird. Oh night, yeah. So. We can, we can terminate this and we can add the next one to the AI episode, I guess that would work. Oh yeah. Yeah. You wanted to do an AI episode. So, um, yeah. Cause I am running out of steam here. Yeah. Um, I, uh, so as host, I guess. Well, give us uh, your Jerry Springer final thoughts. Yes. Give us your final thoughts on why you are the father of this abstraction. I don't know how to do a Jerry yeah, Springer Jerry Springer used to do that all the time. I know. I used, I used to turn the channel off when the Simpsons would end and Jerry Springer would start. Oh, garbage. <laughs> I was like 10. Anyway, your, your, your final thoughts. Cause I, I think um, I'm probably going to get into a lot of it in detail when we go into the AI component. Yeah. So. so my final thoughts, I uh, um, embrace complexity, become a conceptual Jedi, mm. live within the abstract, make your own and don't settle. <laughs> But that's not to say that skills aren't valuable, techniques aren't valuable. It's just oh, yeah. but the, the exclusionary perspective of of the way we're teaching these days is yeah. what I'm vehemently opposed to. Yeah, I feel What's like right the, is so wrong. <laughs> the this distinction between physical labor and mental labor is in itself kind of weird. Now there are things that are you know you can turn your brain off and do, but usually when I turn my brain off, it's because I'm listening to an audiobook while I'm doing physical labor. I built a shelf here while I was listening to a book. <laughs> so, um, oh, I turned it off when I was using the saw. So not completely safety unconscious. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, I think a talk for another day. So, um, I guess final thought would be go out, try your hand at a basic script or two and see what it is start simple turn off a program and on with a click bind something to your start menu key who knows something and then just experiment see where it takes you um and play with open source software you got nothing to lose just install blender and see if you can make a 3d cube bounce because it's really easy (laughs) you should just do it because you can because computers, I never thought in a thousand years when I was young that I'd ever have the opportunity to make things that look better than video games. And now you can make photorealistic stuff from an $800 computer in your bedroom in your spare time. Like It's just phenomenal what we're able to do. But yeah, yeah. with that, thank you for indulging. It's been real. Yeah. Um, check back to see updates. Like, uh, share, subscribe. Yeah, share it with your friends. It would be great to have more people commenting and having their views on here. So, Mm. and uh, like always, 
go with much gravitas frivolously into that abstract night. Ciao.